Welcome to Two Pastors, Take a Walk, and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. So you first. What is astonishing you, my friend? I am astonished this week by the work of the Holy Spirit to help us establish. Yeah, the the Holy Spirit. Not, Not that I think the Holy Spirit is a guy, okay? I was just making a joke, not a theological statement. And like, there's no opposite of guy, like that gal, that sounds weird, but I understand the patriarchy, it's in me, the Holy Spirit is not a man. Sorry, carry I got, on. I got the joke, I got the joke. Yeah. So we are establishing a new partnership and it is totally a Holy Spirit thing. Uh, we're establishing a partnership with um, this group focused on the education of children who might otherwise fall through the cracks of our education system. Uh, About two months ago, one of our elders uh, named Robin, wonderful woman who leads our outreach committee, Robin was at home watching the local news and she saw a story about this group called Innovative Learning. They do everything from uh, tutoring to summer camps to after-school care, but now because of COVID, uh, they lost their place to meet. And so they literally had like 50 students, staff, uh, enthusiastic parents, but no place to meet in a city the size of Charlotte. And Robin saw this news story and felt God calling her to contact the director, Belinda. And they started a conversation which has now led to them moving into our building uh, We think we're launching next week and uh, just super excited about that because they do such good work. They've been around for 20 years and, um, um, you know, we care a lot about children um, and their education. We are located in a community where kids are falling through the cracks left and right and um, it's, it's a our community is really mixed. Our neighborhood is mixed because on the one hand, economically, and I'm talking before COVID, uh, it was increasingly uh, uh, becoming more stable economically. And now because of COVID, so many people are hurting and these families need this kind of ministry. And it really is a, a ministry. Uh, this is going to be such a blessing to families in which both parents need to work outside the home, and yet these kids have, you know, distance learning, or they have needs around technology, or they just need a place to go where they can do their schoolwork, and they'll be coming to our building, and we are excited about that. And part of our own mission statement is that we are sharing the hope of Jesus through learning, and so it, we're just excited to connect with this. Uh, learning um, ministry? Well, I'm going to say this because I know that it's going to bring you great delight and joy. I am so jealous. So jealous. You tell Robin, like I have been um, just chasing down and trying to find that opportunity for the Grove and just dead ending. So I'm super, super just happy for you and um, I covet your ministry. So I know that will make you feel good, um, but I just think it's great. And I guess I just do think that, um, you know, it's such a privilege and an honor to be able to be part of the way that God is providing for kids and like all, well, that God is providing for God's children, whatever chronological age they are. And so we all um, should be competing for these opportunities because they're, um, they're the, they're the life, they're the reason we exist, <laughs> the lifeblood of the body of Christ. And um, so anyway, I'm, I'm very happy for you. I'm well, and the joy for me goes, for the, the joy for me goes in two directions. Number one, it's, uh, first of all, that an elder of the church, um, yeah. Yeah. who's brand new. I mean, this is a new elder 
hasn't been with the church a long, long time um, and new on the board was willing to just take this step of faith. And uh, I just celebrate her willingness uh, to do that. And then secondly, also, of course, this opportunity to build relationships with these children and these families. And that's super exciting uh, for us. So we're, we're so grateful. Well, that, that's very cool. That's very cool. And so what is astonishing you in these continuing COVID days? Um, well, I just, we're, we're talking late tonight because um, just got off a, another Zoom call with a, um, a, a member of my church who was um, renewing his marriage vows with his wife after 50 years. And I, I just, um, it's really beautiful. And I, I always um, think that if we have eyes to see, there's just something incredibly sacred and bold and like just the very best kind of holy foolishness about um, people making a marriage covenant with one another. And I think, you know, for, for us in our tradition, the marriage covenant is a, is, is a ministry. Like it is a way that we um, grow up to the full stature of Christ. It is. Um, and so um, for this couple who I, you know, have known for a long time, I just, and particularly in this season for them um, to say, you know, that, that, um, that they are just um, committing to, uh, to renewal and restoration of, of, of their marriage and of that covenant and, you know, making those vows to one another. And I just think there's something really, just really beautiful um, as much as, you know, with a great danger in the season is just to perpetually be comparing to what would have been, what should have been. And, and I just really um, am grateful for the witness of people in my community who are just like they're through crying in their beer. And this is just, you know, the time is now. And, um, you know, that the time to be faithful is now. And um, so anyway, it was very beautiful. And I, um, was just, I mean, I really see it as, as a sign that, um, you know, whatever comes next after this season might be just very, very different than we expected or anticipated. But um, what we know for sure and what I think we really need to be anchored in is that God is faithful. And so whatever comes next, whatever that looks like, um, we are not separated from the goodness of God. And I just, I really appreciate the two of them, you know, renewing that covenant and bearing witness to that um, for all of us. So it was just, it was beautiful. And, you know, the whole point of this exercise of naming what's astonishing us is just mm. really forcing us to, um, to, to see when we're, it's so easy to be so heavily burdened about ministry to just really stop and, and name what is, um, what is full of wonder and what we ought to, have a holy awe about and that you know a 50-year renewal restoration that's that's something to marvel at and to give thanks for and to really you know it's I don't I don't know I feel like it's one of those things that I just kind of want to ponder in my heart and and think about um what that what that means and what that signifies not just for the two of them but mm. you know that's the beauty of living in community as a church is that our our lives become just mirrors of the sacred story to one another. So it was very beautiful and I was very honored to be a part of it and just really kind of um, just grateful for their witness of like, this is, you know, this is when this moment is happening. And so we are going to um, not, not wait and not pine, but just give thanks um, and, and move forward trusting God in this moment. So it was very, it was very beautiful. And also Zoom is awkward and it will always be awkward. <laughs> and that's just okay because that doesn't take away from the reality of, of what is happening. Like thing, a thing doesn't have to look polished in order to be just really beautiful. And we have to have the eyes to see that. So mm. it was very nice. I think there is in our book of common worship, there's something called the statement on the gift of marriage. And um, 
I think that's what it's called, but whatever it, it, the label, I, I read it at every wedding. And I think there's a line that says something like um, that marriage is a sign of what God intends for the world. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the point is to take us back to, I think it's John chapter two, where Jesus is at yeah. the wedding of Cana and turns water into wine and wine is a symbol of joy. And so this is supposed to be a, a sign of God's joy in the world and God's joy um, for the world. And how important is that in a season like we're in? Well, and it's funny that you say that because I did just use a tiny little snippet of that story because I I really like, um, and that's what I thought was just so beautiful about this moment in a in a renewal of vows at, on a fifty year anniversary is, um, you know, in that story they bring the the miracle wine to the steward who of course doesn't know where it came from and he just tastes it and marvels at its superiority at its richness and and it, and its um, taste, whatever. I'm not a wine person, but, um, and he says, you know, most people give, you know, serve the choice wine first and basically save the dregs for the end when, you know, everybody's drunk and nobody has any capacity to discern anyway. And he says, like, is it this marvelous? You've, you know, you've saved what the best for last. And I, I think, you know, I don't think it's an accident, um, that that, 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 that statement is in that story about a wedding. I mean, I, you know, I, I just think there's something really deeply meaningful about that, especially, you know, um, because I'm, I'm so aware of just um, how painful it is when marriages break um, and how, you know, you sort of grow up naively thinking like, oh, if, if a marriage breaks, if a divorce happens, that means someone's a villain and someone's a victim. And the reality is, you know, the, the truth is just sadly more complicated than that often. And, you know, we live in a um, broken and fallen world and sometimes covenants, you know, break and sometimes they they need to be broken and we just need to be able to grieve that and um, look for new life in that broken place. So, you know, that that is real. And also um, there's just something really beautiful about about what happens when, by the grace of God, a marriage um, doesn't break or a marriage is restored and how, you know, that season late, that later season can be even, um, even richer and more sacred than, than the first. Um, so. Yeah. I have a hard time wrapping my head around, um, marriage language in the book of revelation. Um, but responding to what you've just said, I, I think it's mostly about the establishment of a covenant God with the world. And the good news is that this is a covenant that will not be broken, not because we're so wonderful and keep up our end, but because God is so wonderful and so gracious and so forgiving and so kind and wonderful that because of God's grace, this covenant will remain intact. Mm -hmm. And I do think that, you know, I mean, I remember being in seminary and, you know, being not that it felt that way at the time, but just being so young. And so just all the marriage metaphors in scripture were not super meaningful to me, or they just don't, they, they have a different level of meaning for me now, uh, since I'm 19 years into my own marriage and just realizing like, oh, I understand why marriage is a metaphor for the divine human relationship. And, you know, cause I think when I was younger, it just felt weird, <laughs> but it just felt like odd and inappropriate to think about a marriage between God and humanity in any way resembling marriage between two human people. But I think now that you're in it and sort of the first flush of things has worn off and, and you're noticing um, how, when you are again, not by your own merit, but, but really graced with a healthy and holy marriage um, that you recognize that this sort of the deeper parts of marriage are the, are the return to me parts are the parts where you know who, your covenant partner is at times when they've forgotten or when you sort of choose to honor all within them that is good and lovely and, you know, worthy of praise, even when that's not the only truth that is being expressed in that moment. And just um, that idea that you, 
don't turn away from people even when, frankly, they deserve it or you remain steadfast to them even when they can't meet your needs. Like that, I'm like, oh, I understand now why one would, would come to have more faith in God's ability to be steadfastly faithful to us once you have the experience you know, obviously a tiny experience of what it's like to love and be loved in that way, to be loved when you are unlovely. And when you have the gift of receiving that kind of love from a human, it makes you realize like, oh, God, how much more can God love me in my unloveliness? And I think like when you're new in marriage and when you're new in faith, you wouldn't say this, but you often think like, heck yeah, you're going to love me. Like I'm pretty <laughs> I'm pretty all that in a bag of shit. You know, you just, whatever. You have wrong expectations of yourself. And, and when you grow more aware of your own human frailty, both in a marriage and in a walk of faith, you know, that, that idea of people loving you when you, when you don't deserve that um, and being able to walk that out is just really, just really powerful. So anyway, it was just very beautiful tonight. And, and this particular couple to, to renew those vows um, in this season just felt like a sign of, of sorely needed hope and joy. So it was grateful. I was grateful. Good. So what are you thinking about? Um, well, you know, it was a real toss-up for me what I was going to put in a category because I had this other really, um, uh, really beautiful, powerful moment um, this week. And I should just say like, we, I mean, not that anyone's been holding their breath, but like we did not release a podcast last week. And I, um, this has just been a really hard, whatever, 10, 10 to 14 day span mm. for me personally. And I think, you know, it's hard to have a hard time during this season because everyone's having a hard time. And, so it's really, I mean, we all know it's okay to not be okay, but it's also, um, I think for me, I really struggle with given everything that I have been blessed with and the role that I'm so happy to play um, in my community, it's hard. I mean, not that I want people to think that I don't, don't have moments of weakness, but it's also just, it, it feels, it sometimes feels like you can't ask anyone else to carry your burdens, right? It just feels like that. Um, and, and often I think, you know, I internalize this and think, well, if this person I love is carrying this and this person I love is carrying that and this person I love is carrying that, I, um, you know, not only do you have to feel all your feelings, but you have to wrestle with like the shoulds, like I shouldn't be feeling this way mm -hmm. because my burdens are lighter than these other people's. And it just, you know, and, and regardless of whether you think you should feel away, I mean, it doesn't really help. Like you still do. Right. Um, so I just, I, you know, it's just been um, a hard, a hard two weeks, a lot of stuff, you know, with my, my family of origin, as they say, and my, my kids have had a hard two weeks, and there's just been a couple situations at the church where nobody's fault, nobody's being ugly, but they've just been hard, just hard, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and um, I've just been sitting with that um, and feeling like, oh, this is really kind of feels like a dark night of the soul kind of season, which seems mm. like just the exactly wrong timing, but whatever. And um, so I have two um, friends, um, women in my church, and um, one of them a while ago had asked me um, if we could read together through a book on um, the prophetic gifts. And I had reached out to you a couple of weeks ago mm -hmm. um, because you are um, just much more... Um, whatever, experienced an interest in, in exploring some of the um, manifestations of the Holy Spirit that are less um, celebrated, shall we say, mm -hmm. in the mainline denominations. And so, you know, we had chosen a book. And um, so the three of us had, had really started today to read through it. And frankly, like, I mean, I felt very clearly that it was very healthy for, the, for me to do it. And I, I felt like it was a very healthy sign in the church that people with certain gifts were saying like, hey, can we come and think through um, just, you know, what this is and how to be faithful to it and how to like integrate it into the life of the church in a holy way. Like, I just felt very, felt like that was a very healthy thing, but it wasn't something that I was particularly like, oh, I can't wait to do this just because mm. it's so far outside my, um, just 
my rut, my rut for lack of a better word. And, um, and so we were just, but we had started reading the, the book that you recommended, um, the understanding prophetic people by our Lauren Sanford. And, um, and it was really good, just really nice, really powerful to be together on two ways. One, just reading through these first couple chapters and just talking about, you know, what the prophetic gift is and how often it's manifested in people. And, you know, one of the things that the author was saying was, um, which is just so true that like pastors don't know, at least in mainline churches, I can't speak to never been a pastor anywhere else, but like pastors don't know how to pastor people with prophetic gifts because it's just not, I mean, we'll study the book of Joel and we'll study Acts and Pentecost and we'll sort of affirm doctrinally that, you know, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But, but functionally we act as if, you know, the only way of being prophetic is in the pulpit <laughs> um, and, mm-hmm. and not just this, not really being comfortable with this idea that, you know, God moves I mean, everything is spiritual, right? But there are parts of spirituality which we label natural and parts of spirituality which we label supernatural. And often as um, mainline American Christians, we just really focus on the spirit- what is spiritual that we label natural and think that whatever is supernatural is just not for us or weird or embarrassing or whatever. And I think just um, as much as I, I sort of emotionally... Um, understand that and even you know find myself drifting in the same way when I just stop and think about it just think it is stupid to want to follow it does not make sense to want to follow Christ and not be interested in in what is spiritual right like and not be interested in what is supernatural like it just doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense um you know we were saying today, like join the Rotary Club. If that, I mean, like this is just <laughs> fundamentally, unapologetically, a a spiritual and um, spiritual experience, and elements of that are what we would label supernatural. But I mean, for people who believe, as we do, that God is whatever the unmoved mover, God is you know the creator of all, then then there's no realm of existence that is not of God, and whatever categories we put on it are pretty arbitrary from our human standpoint. So like what makes, you know, serving in a food bank, a natural expression of spirituality and having, you know, a word of wisdom from God, a supernatural experience of super, I mean, it's all, it's all God. And I think in our particular tradition, we just really ignore what scripture plainly reveals will be um, signs of the presence of the Holy Spirit and will be present in healthy um, and holy congregations. And I think we just, um, you know, we just, there are some expressions of God's presence that we're comfortable with. And so we focus on those and we just sort of um, uh, intentionally and unintentionally shut down and ignore everything else. So I, I just, I appreciated that reminder and of thinking about like, yes, I do believe that God is still in the business of being all of God. And that if we are going to be holy God's church, then we should have just a right and reverent expectation of God to like bust beyond the categories of things that make us feel comfortable. And like, we just preached a whole sermon series on holy discomfort, right? So if there are things that are just uncomfortable for you, but that doesn't make them unholy. And so we just need to, um, think and talk about this and um, study and and pray. And so it was just good on the face of it, but also um, it was just really interesting because, you know, one of the things that um, one of the women on this, <laughs> this, uh, our first gathering shared was like, you know, I have this word from God for you. And, um, and it was just one of those moments that I, you know, realized I, I've just been carrying around a lot of knots in my soul and kind of trying to like white knuckle through the season and then sitting down from this moment, which in my head was about me being faithful and me being a good pastor. And then finding in that moment that, that God had given my friend a word for me, not in my role as pastor, but in my identity as child of God was just, um, you know, 
it, it, it was just this amazing manifestation of God's kindness and tenderness. And um, so I'm just thinking about, you know, what we cheat ourselves out of in the mainline church when we are only prepared to receive certain kinds of gifts from God and certain kinds of people from God. And when we prioritize our expertise and our comfort over um, the, the movement of the Holy Spirit um, and just, you know, I, I find it to be such an amazing, humbling thing really that anyone would come and be part of the Grove, but, and especially people would come and be part of the Grove with, diff, with gifts that are so different than my own and gifts that really, um, you know, are strong in my areas of weakness and, and just bring revelation in areas of, of life, of faith that I just don't have personal experience with. I'm just so grateful for that. And um, just thinking we, you know, we should be asking questions in the PCUSA about, you know, where, where do we see the gifts of prophecy in our, in our holy community? Where, when, when God talks about speaking in tongues, like, why don't we see it in our communities? What does it mean? Or, I mean, whatever. And I shouldn't assume, I don't know what happens in every Presbyterian church everywhere. I'm not, you know, but, but it's certainly not something that we, you know, talk about and teach about and expect and celebrate and, and where along the line have we arbitrarily decided that some gifts of God are respectable and some gifts of God are whatever, not decent and in order. And I bet there's, you don't have to scratch the surface of that very long before you run into um, white supremacy and um, just the ways that we try to order and control and confine God's movement into institutions that we can control. So anyway, I'm thinking about all of that, but mainly just really giving thanks for God's goodness and providence and tenderness to me in this season and my friends who, um, you know, bring their whole holy selves and really risk bringing gifts that, that, you know, are just really vulnerable and beautiful. And I'm just really grateful. So thinking about that. Well, that's huge. <laughs> oh, is that all? Is that that's all. <laughs> okay, wow. Well, um, several things come to mind. Number one is that even though we have a theology of the priesthood of all believers, functionally, yeah. we act as if uh, the pastor is all things to all people. And so we have set up uh, the pastor, especially in mainline Protestant churches, to be uh, um, functionally the the, the, the smartest, the smartest, the most priestly, the most spiritual, the most whatever, the dispenser of religious goods and services to the congregation. Dare we say the mediator? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Functionally, and deeply, functionally. ironically, functionally. Yes. And that, and so when you have that as your mode of operation, it is hard to find a place for the exercise of certain spiritual gifts, uh, prophecy uh, being one of them. The other thing that comes to mind is, um, you know, the word that was given to you um, by the person in the church. Uh, the, the, the first thing that popped into my head was, um, you know, some folks make a distinction between uh, uh, logos and rhema that uh, you and I often will give a logos word, that, that's, that's the, the mm -hmm. teaching, right? Uh, but, but a rhema is sort of a, a right now. Uh, it's like when you're reading the scripture and there, there's something in mm -hmm. you where the Holy Spirit says, that's for you right now in this moment and just meet you where you are. And so often the prophetic gift is a rhema word. And we are so trained to focus on the logos, the teaching, which is important. Don't want to take that away. I love it. That's what I do. That's, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's my bag. That's my deal. However, um, I am, uh, I, I love uh, uh, people who are just gifted in terms of, of giving a rhema word. Um, right, and it's, I love and that it's, experience because it is. It does seem to be, it's it's the it's the experience of of God up close and personal. Yeah, right? 
And so often the, the teaching ministry is needed. It's, it's, uh, it builds people up and it, it can be, um, it, it can move the heart. Uh, it should move the heart, but um, there, there can be a, this, this distance. It, it can get heady, it can be neck up and a rhema word just, just cuts to the quick of the heart. And it's this sense of holy cow god knows me god some god has been reading my mail and has shared it with this person right it's it's a it's a it's a nathan to david you are the man kind of moment but but it can be also not only a, a word of of judgment but a, a word of grace a word of encouragement um, yeah. as a matter of fact paul says that um that the prophetic gift is given for um uh, uh to encourage and strengthen yeah. the, the saints and so uh, yeah, I I would love to see more of that gift exercise, and you should have your folks uh, read, and you can find this online. It's like the 1970 something General Assembly report. I know you read General Assembly reports all the time, but if you read the General Assembly report, you are the very best Presbyterian I know. Listen, <laughs> I'm getting you a badge. <laughs> Our denomination did a study, because it's the 70s, of, of the charismatic movement. And it is an incredible document. It's not super long, but it covers the gifts of healing and prophecy. And you would not recognize that it was a Presbyterian document. Right. And well, at, at the end, it says, and I'm paraphrasing, it says, and, and it talks about you know, how these gifts can be abused, but then the last paragraph says something like, um, you know, first of all, this is scripture. So if it's scripture, we're people of the book. Correct. So this is for us. But Correct. also there, there's a line that says something like, this might be what the church needs yep. for its vitality and health for yep. the future. Yeah. Read that and say, oh, well, that that's where we missed the boat. That's where we got off. Yep. Um, because yep. Going into the 80s and not, we, we just, we didn't, we left that. That scared us, you know, out of our minds. And so, right. uh, but, but it's an incredible document. Well, and I just think, I mean, the reality is that these two types of words, somewhere along the way, we have bought into the lie. And I have a good idea where that lie came from, that, it, that we have to choose or that one is superior to the other or that mm -hmm. one is, you know, complete and necessary and the other isn't added that I mean, it's just not true we where did we ever get the idea that one was good without the other and i think you know this logos teaching is important so that you can recognize what i mean not every spirit is from god and so you, so you need grounding in the revelation of god so that you can recognize and test and see that the word before you is is in line with who god has revealed god's self to be but but I mean, especially, you know, we serve a denomination that is dying and, and in many days, I think, doesn't even care, right? Like, I just know so many people just in, in leadership in the PCUSA are just like, yeah, the church is dying. You know, what are you going to do? Like, I don't know. Share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. There's a thought. Like, I mean, and, and evangelism. The, oh, wow. But the other thing that I think is interesting is like, sure, because we are trying to say, you know, it seems to me for so long, the Presbyterian church's like highest aspiration has been like to do justice for Jesus and hold on to our own people. Right. So like, let's not lose anybody, but, and, and we have not been trying to. In Jesus Christ. And, and even if we were, we'd be super bad at it because if somebody isn't born into the church and they're on a journey as, you know, the Holy Spirit is drawing them on a spiritual journey and they're on that journey willingly or unwillingly, but aware that it is a spiritual journey. And so then you walk into a Presbyterian church and what you hear is like, these are the great ends of the church and this is our Robert's Rules of Order. And, and I'm not even mad at any of that, but like, this is a spiritual journey. It's a spiritual journey. And, and people who are looking for God want to come to a place where people are unapologetic about saying, this is a spiritual journey. And this isn't something that happened 2000 years ago. This is something that is happening now. 
and you can be a part of it, which means to teach people that the Holy Spirit is talking to you <laughs> and, and you, we can help you learn how to listen and how to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit and, and what to do when you hear something. And, and again, this is not asking for some radical new culture. This is asking for the body of Christ to be reunited and for, for parts that we have just told people, if you want to do that, go away. We're not that kind of a yeah. church to say like, no, we are that kind of a church because we are the church of Jesus Christ. And, and all of these gifts come from the same Holy spirit. And if the Holy spirit is in our church, then, then these giftings are in our church. And, and why are we rejecting God's blessings? Be I mean, I know why I think is because the kinds of gifts that we're more comfortable with are, are the kinds that are mediated by institutions. And, and as historically affluent, powerful people, institutions tend to be our jam. And, and God is allowing our jam to be not because our faith was never supposed to be in our churches, our seminaries, our, you know, denominational, how many freaking Presbyterian presidents there are, give me a break. Last so, Sunday, uh, my message was how to hear the voice of God. Yeah. Well, how to hear the voice of God in stressful times or something like that. Yeah. And um, I spent the first part of that message saying, look, I know there's skepticism in this area in our part of the body of Christ. So right. let me just build your faith before I go on to teach you some of the hows. So let's just affirm this place in the gospel of John where Jesus said, my yep. sheep hear my voice, right? My, right? And we have to distinguish between the gift of prophecy and the truth that all believers Correct. can hear. Because you Correct, are dwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's like people with, the, there are people with the gift of prayer, but everybody is called to pray. <laughs> Right. And there are people with the gift of evangelism, but all people are called to, share to welcome news. others yes. into the body of Christ. And I think, you know, what, what's really helpful is to think about that scene, scene, whatever, that, that moment in the Gospel of John where Jesus is sitting down at the Last Supper with his disciples, and they don't know what's happening, but, but Jesus does. And as readers, we do. And, and it, it feels like this very sad moment of like, they have this intimacy with Jesus, and it's about to be taken from them. And, and, and what he says to them after the washing of the feet is like, look, you don't understand this, but it is good that I'm going. It's good. It's yeah. not a loss because what's happening yeah. in this moment is not the end of your intimacy with me. Yeah. It's the deepening of your, like as close as we are right now, we are now about to be closer because I am going to send the advocate, to send the spirit. And so what, what is possible in the future is not for you to sit around a table with me, is not even for you to have the intimacy of me washing your feet. What is possible is for you to have the spirit of God that lives in me, that same spirit living in you. So you may or may not have the gift of prophecy, but this idea that we would have this ability to hear God's voice, um, and uh, like that's just straight biblical. So if you don't like that, then, then what you're rejecting is not um, a worship style or a worship culture. Like you're saying like, nah, Jesus, you didn't mean that. Like yes. those disciples back then are closer to you than I am now. And that That's the whole narrative of the Bible, if you ask people why they did what they did, they would say, because God told me to, Noah, Correct. why did you build the ark? God told me to. Joshua, why did you march around the city several times? Because God told me to. Mary, why did you name your baby Jesus? Because God told me to. Yeah. Right? And so if the scripture is true that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then we cannot say, well, you know what? That was back in the biblical times and God doesn't do that stuff anymore. It's like, yeah. but, that, but that's how we think. We, we draw this line between yeah. now and the biblical world. And that line spiritually does not exist. Well, and, and the really tragic thing about it is that because we don't know that part of our own history, because we don't teach everyone that God desires intimacy with them and God desires us to be fully alive in him. And that's a spiritual relationship. And because we don't teach that, we don't talk about that. We don't name that. We don't normalize that. Then usually the only time anybody hears someone say, God told me to do this. It's, 
like a serial killer. Like it's someone who has done something like totally destructive and, you know, yes. uh, anti-gospel. And so we have learned to associate the idea that someone listens to God, hears from God with like, with what is terrible instead of associating it with what is holy and miraculously normal about being a follower of Jesus Christ. And we have relegated Christianity to being like a badge of respectability instead of like a really um, just intimate, totally transformative um, relationship and new life through Jesus. So, and it was, I mean, we were just talking about that today. Like it's, it's good to have this moment and what we really need to um, do at the Grove want to do is just to really, um, you know, begin to have these conversations and, and build this culture of, of people saying, you know, just because I hear from God, that doesn't mean I am God. <laughs> and that doesn't mean I have some sense of my own infallibility, but that it is just a right expectation that I can listen to God and I can hear from God and people in our congregation do that. And people in other parts of the body of Christ have done a lot of work in the area of, okay, if you hear a word, what do you do with it? Right. If you're supposed to share a word, how do you share it? Right. When is it appropriate? How is it? Like, you know, I, I was, um, I went to some training around prophetic ministry and this one particular school said, listen, it's just our policy here in this congregation. We just don't, we just don't give prophetic words around marriage oh, yeah. or having Children. babies. Yes. Yep. Like if someone approaches you in a parking lot and says, I think you're supposed to marry. So it's like, uh, no, we don't do that. Or you're going to have yeah. a baby. It's like, mm -mm -mm, no, we don't do that. It's, it's, I think People in our part of the body get really nervous about this kind of ministry because we we have an on or off, totally yeah. um, uh, full on switch with no boundaries. But there are boundaries in terms of, uh, some people call it prophetic etiquette. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, um, for example, the word that was given to you right? It, it was in a, a small group setting, right? Mm -hmm. so this person did not stand up, stop, you know, right. the, the worship right. service and say, I have a word for the, right? Or corner you um, yeah. right afterward, right? They, they found an appropriate time to share. And often, you know, whenever a prophetic person has approached me, they've asked they've i think i have a word for you can i share it with you yeah right yeah. and yeah. i i love that um and yeah. so every once in a while well, i'll across someone that just well they they think they are <coughs> supposed to say thus says the lord in every situation whether you want to hear it or not and that's a different that's a different well, vibe and I, I mean and this ministry is not about prediction or control Right. That's right. If that's not what it's about. Just as that wasn't, I mean, and it's not the same, but when, when, when we see the record of the biblical prophets, I mean, on, on rare occasions, and they tend to be the price we pay attention to, would, you know, would the prophet walk in and say in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Although deeply ironically, that's exactly what didn't happen. Like often when prophets speak, it's not to predict the future and it's not to control the present. It's to to draw people back to who God is or how God is calling us to live. And so I think we just have this mis misunderstanding both of the prophetic office classically in scripture and then certainly about, you know, the kind of intimacy that is that is our our new birthright, right? Like we have new birth in Jesus and that comes with a birthright that frankly, I you know, I think a lot of us um, because we're not really interested in seeding full and becoming fully vulnerable before the Lord. And so we, we're not really interested in that level of intimacy because yes. it requires a level of vulnerability that, you know, except for the brave, very bravest and sacredly weak among us, we don't want it. Like we'd like to hold on to control in certain areas of our lives. It's like the Israelites mm -hmm. at Mount Sinai. And they say to Moses, look, you go up there. 
and right. talk to God and you come back down and tell us what God, right. well, no, 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 we, we don't want to, we don't want to get that close. Yeah. And then there's that other place where, um, some others in the camp were prophesying and they go, some, some folks go and tell Moses, you know, they're tattling. There's a, oh, such and such over there is prophesying. And Moses said, would that all God's people, God's people. right? Yeah. And so yeah. this is for the whole body. This is for yeah. all of us. And especially, I don't see how anyone could read Acts chapter two, right? Right, Where Joel. Peter says, you yeah. know, this is the fulfillment of Joel in the last days. Yeah. I'll pour out my, all, my spirit on yeah. all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. This is for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it is just an illustration of, you know, even the most, uh, the most strict biblical inerrancy people among us, like we all have a canon within a canon and Listen. we all have a functional way that we go like, no, this is really, really important. And this other stuff is eh, like, maybe it's in there, but it's not really in there. And so, you know, I think in the, in the Presbyterian church, we take scripture very seriously, except for when the Holy Spirit would lead us beyond our boundaries and beyond our comfort level. And then we're like, eh, that's a metaphor. <laughs> here, here is a place. It's, it's interesting because those on the, the right, very conservative evangelical people and those far left in the church have a hard time with this gift. Correct. Because it messes up their canon within the canon, yeah. right? Yeah. So for conservative evangelicals, it's like, wait a minute. Are you saying that God is going to speak beyond the pages of the Bible? Um, yeah. And their fear, and they often operate in fear. Their fear is that people are going to say, God's given me new Bible, right? New scripture, right? right? No, that's not what prophecy is. Right. And um, on the, the left, it's, wait. Is God still doing that kind of stuff? Wait, th this is yeah. way just out of my comfort zone. And it messes up my sense of agency in the world. Yeah, yeah, and my place in the world. And also it just, you know, these ecstatic gifts, what they do is they, they, they really embody the idea that God is no respecter of persons. And so the reality mm -hmm. is somebody with, you know, three doctoral degrees and 87 titles before their name is, is equal before, you know, the, the youngest child who, who very much in theory, you know, I mean, a donkey talks, right? Like, I mean, this idea that like <laughs> anyone can have a word from the Lord and that word would be sacred. And so this idea that there's no like trickle down spirituality yeah. in the church. Right. And that I, these ecstatic gifts, um, again, they're not meant to replace other gifts, but they, but they do, they are a counterbalance and they're really, really, really faithful one to my understanding of the full revelation of scripture that God lifts up the lowly and, and is, yes. you know, and, and puts sacred things in earthen vessels and that we tend to rank and, you know, and establish hierarchies that make us feel good about our own righteousness. And God wants the community of faith to be grounded in God's righteousness. And so that wherever a gift comes, we we're celebrating it. Like what do any of us have that we haven't received? This isn't a meritocracy. We all have different gifts that we are privileged to carry into this community, but God is the gift yeah. giver and God is the one we celebrate, not, not people. So Anyway, well, I I want to keep talking about this because <laughs> I love the subject. I know you do. I know you but do. But this you. this does give me the opportunity to talk about. Um, uh, uh, he's not a new theological crush, but I haven't <laughs> talked about him. Oh, it, oh you, does NT have competition? NT, I have to set him aside in this area because okay. when it comes to charismatic gifts and scholars. I think the person to read is Craig Keener. Oh, Craig Keener is amazing. He, he, when I think of a person that is a brilliant scholar and embraces charismatic gifts, his name is at the top of the list for me. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. I lived here in Charlotte for a number of years and he taught just up the road at a seminary in Salisbury. Um, and I didn't know it until he moved away. He's now at Asbury Seminary in Kentucky. In Kentucky. Yes. He is um, a white man married to an African woman. He lived in Africa for some time, and um, 
I mean, the first time I saw his name on a book, he co-authored a book um, entitled, Is Christianity the White Man's Religion? I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this, this is interesting. But uh, he's also written so many books about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And he's got this two-volume um, uh, writing. It's, it's massive on miracles, both biblical uh, miracles throughout history and present day. That's great. I've got that over here somewhere on my shelf. Craig Keener is, oh, I love him. I love oh, him. Oh, that's, I'm happy to know that. I, I'm i happy to know that. I'm excited to do some more reading. So, as a matter of fact, um, uh, I just thought of another a book by him on the, it's called, it's it's about specifically the the gifts of the spirit and it's, it's over here somewhere on myself anyway it's really okay. helpful for everyone who's listening to the podcast that you <laughs> i know i'm i'm pointing to my my book Your my, my bookshelf so what are you thinking about these days well, not nearly as interesting as what you're thinking about um but uh, uh i i'm really struggling with christmas eve and the holidays and what they will look like um, number one just yeah. as you know, someone who um, has two parents that I like to visit and two sisters um, who are, you know, four or five hours away. And um, I can't remember a time when I did not go home for the holidays. Mm. Um, And we're really struggling because we want everyone to stay safe. And, you know, my parents are older and um, I don't want to um, take unnecessary risks just to, satisfy my uh, desire to see them and to have all the familiar trappings of the holidays. Like, yeah. uh, like my mother has the largest collection of, uh, I think, animatronic um, <laughs> black Santas oh, bless. And, black, and black angels yep. and black uh, Mrs. Claws. <laughs> Uh, in the, I mean, it's, you walk into her house and my mother, she, she doesn't put up, you know, a Christmas tree. There are several trees in the house. And then she, she's collected those little, um, uh, I think they're porcelain ceramic. Um, like she just has this whole Christmas village thing that lights up and it's, it's, like yeah. even as a 40 something year old person i love it's like oh okay this is this is christmas yeah. and you know my 6 year old goes he's like oh, grandma's house is the best at christmas yeah. I mean, inside is a light show right yeah and so i'm i'm already grieving that um we we may not get to do that this year just yeah. because we want them to be safe um I also know that the holidays are about more than that. Of course, I know that, but I'm I'm grieving. Right. The other part of that is okay. So how do I how do I help the church? How do I help the church celebrate the birth of Jesus when it doesn't look like we'll be able to get together in the same physical space? Uh, and I'm I'm personally just coming to terms with that because. Over the summer, I thought, surely by Christmas, it'll be okay. And then as we've moved into the fall, I thought, okay, this is, this is not going to happen. And so yeah. I'm already thinking about what a celebration worship video is going to look like. And um, I'm struggling with it being us. It being, and by us, I mean as many faces and voices of the congregation as possible. I'm concerned about it being, uh, feeling like, um, feeling warm, right? Not just, I don't know. Um, you can go through the motions of anything. I, I, do, I don't want to simply check the box, say, okay, we did a, we did a Christmas Eve worship video. Um, how can we truly make this something that is edifying to the church, honoring to God, and um, something that even draws those who do not yet believe into this 
marvelous story. And I, I'm, well, I'm struggling. Well, I just think, I mean, and just we, off, off the top of my head, I mean, it strikes me, and I'm not gonna articulate this very well, but I mean, it strikes me that there's something really, there's something really uniquely glorious that is possible, not in spite of where we are this year, but, but because mm. of it. Um, and I know that, you know, for, for years, I have just, it is strange to, like, I've always had this longing to want to go and live in Israel or whatever, like, like, I, I'm trying to think of some place that is not historically, you know, majority Christian, like I, Budapest, or just I, some place where what is to me a sacred holiday is not acknowledged hmm. by the larger secular slash commercial culture. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, for those of us who have grown up in this country where that's always proclaimed to be Christian and has always centered um, the whole, our holy days, and then have layered on other traditions and rituals that are not in themselves bad. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they're not, but they're also not, they're not um, what makes these days holy. And it's not like, you know, and, and having that conversation is difficult every year because you know, you just end up sounding like a Grinch or like anti-joy or like you're, you're saying like, no, you know, people who already know Jesus are the only people who, who should experience, you know, I mean, it's so, so it's just, and, and it strikes me that, that this year might be as close, might be as close as we ever get to that living as Americans, because so many of the things that, again, are not bad and are not even opposed to, um, the what this day the sacredness of this day but a lot of them will just be stripped away and and i think it's just interesting the way you phrase the question i mean i get it and so this is going to sound obnoxious and i don't mean it that way because i would phrase it the same way but just listening to you articulate what what i have myself articulated in other conversations like we still think like well how can we make this mm. warmth and how can we make this you know and the reality is what we believe is that we don't have to make it anything. I mean, mm -hmm. it is. It is That's a good. revelation that has power, that has nothing to do with all of the rituals that we have built around it, which are not, are not bad. Um, I mean, I'm not going to become a Jehovah's Witness, but 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 the fact that we don't have these rituals and we don't have these traditions and we don't like that, that is a, actually kind of a palate cleanser to remind us that all of that stuff is is not the stuff. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I, I do think, you know, this year, you know, may not be um, pleasurable in ways that other years have been. And I don't begrudge anybody any, any whatever, non-destructive pleasure in these days um, ever, but especially in these days. But they, they might not be pleasurable, but they might be uniquely, to borrow an old fashioned Scottish theological word, like edifying, right? Like they might really be like a tonic for us. Um, and I, you know, and, and I mean, it may, it sort of brings me full circle to that moment on Zoom earlier tonight, which is, you know, people professing, you know, renewing the covenant of marriage, remaking and reestablishing their marriage covenant, making these vows. And it has none of the stuff that of a wedding, like it's not traditionally between people who are, you know, of, who are old enough to have been married 50 years. And it's not traditionally virtual. And it's usually got, you know, all kinds of not bad things, but, you know, mm -hmm. pageantry and and, and all of that is stripped away. And yet the thing is still incalculably beautiful and sacred and powerful. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, this isn't an original thought, but I, I do wonder if that's what we, what we need to wrap our heads around in this season and figure out how to convey, communicate to our 
our friends um, in our congregations is that, you know, the good news is all of this other stuff is never what we celebrated. I mean, like never really what we were celebrating. Um, and, and in seasons that are as hard as this one, you know, this, this um, revelation of the incarnation and just the unexpectedness of it and God, God's glory being found and despised in hidden weak places is really maybe more precious to us than mm. ever has been before. There's like 95 helicopters flying over. <laughs> Sorry, how visible that is. Apparently I live on an airfield. <laughs> um, also, yeah, I, I, I want to have some strategical, do some strategery planning with you because I, I too have been thinking about that. Um, but, um, yeah, well, long podcast, I'm preaching about David cutting the hem off of Saul's garment as he was, shall we say, taking a bio break <laughs> in the back of a cave. Love it. Um, yeah. And it's talking about that story, um, as a, as a, as a way of understanding what it means to walk humbly with God. Mm -hmm. And it actually... Um, was very, I was very surprised by, by where that one went and, and um, how it came about. So I'm, I'm happy about that. I am preaching John 11, uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the grave. And the goal is to record um, a sermon in a cemetery tomorrow. Because um, cemeteries are so interesting to me because even though they are filled with death, they, they are, to me, beautiful places. And I, I'm, I, I usually get upset when I see them depicted as eerie, scary places um, in movies or on television. And um, uh, this particular cemetery that I hope to uh, videotape the sermon is just a really beautiful location, but even more, I want to point to the, uh, the the power of Jesus and his resurrection and the hope of the resurrection in this season where uh, so many are uh, tempted to despair and hopelessness. And so I think we are um, entitling the sermon, Good News in the Graveyard or something like that. I had to mute myself. It really sounds like the revolution will not be tested televised because <laughs> it's happening in my backyard at nine o'clock on a Friday night. But um, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just, I read somewhere, maybe in Tom Long's book about like one of the, one of the things that a preacher could do that would always be effective or, you know, over a lifetime, this would is just to stand up in front of the congregation every week and say, remember, you will die. I mean, mm. I mean, so much of how we are called to live and so much of the revelation of the gospel really only makes sense in light of eternity. And so, mm -hmm. um, and not, not in a sense of like turn or burn. I mean, I don't mean anything as cheap as that, but I just mean like recovering the sacredness of our lives here just reorients us to to god and and to one another um and you know brings us back to our real values so well in this season of covid i've done a lot of funerals and one of the things i'm aware of is that our quote-unquote funeral book says that part of our work is to remind people of the reality of death and then the hope of the resurrection yeah, well, um, I feel like I need to evacuate or something. <laughs> so, um, yeah, those that, helicopters are pretty loud. I don't know what's going on in your community. Sirens. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, a friend called today to ask about, I live in Huntersville. And she was like, what's it like? And I'm like, oh, it's so quiet. <laughs> anyway, hope you're not listening. Um, anyway, we are glad that you are listening. And um, if you want to learn more about Derrida Presbyterian Church, B-E-R-I-T-A in Charlotte, you should Google it and it will pop you over to their website and you can listen to um, Yolando's messages on their Podbeam website uh, service 
Yes, that's right. I get it wrong every time. Podbean. Podbean. Thank you. And you search for the Dorita Church Podcast and hear his messages, his pre-COVID messages. And if you want to see what he's doing right now, if you want to see that graveyard message, um, you should check out their YouTube channel, um, the Dorita Church YouTube channel, because they're big time. And if you want to find out more about The Grove, you should go to thegrovecharlotte.org. You should worship with us um, on our Facebook page at 10 a.m. The live stream is pretty great, actually. Um, the service, we all do a lot of um, interacting there, and it's, it's fun and joyful. And if you want to just hear a message, um, the Grove Church has a podcast that you can get on iTunes or any place else you get your podcasts. So um, thank you for listening. And um, we are planning to meet outside next week on Wednesday and to actually take a walk again together. I'm pushing for a yeah. run, but Yolanda's telling me to get over myself. Um, and then to record a podcast um, in, in IRL on my screen and porch, which hopefully will not be this loud when we do that. So, I mean, next week could be just a really exciting um, moment of restoration. So hope to um, hope you'll check it out then. Bye.